0: A woo a hand clap, or a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW, Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about, you guessed it, Free beer! As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash city and cover just the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Man City show, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers. Beer 52 are the beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from around the smallest batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many, many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive and a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash city to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, the Man City Show listeners get two extra free beers. Blue moon. Hi and welcome to the Man City
2: show. John Stapleton, standing in for Nigel uh, Rothman at rather short notice, but here we are. Nigel, uh, I'm afraid can't be with us uh, right now. Not any football to talk about, of course, but uh, events uh, in the last uh, 24, 36 hours uh, should spark some debate. Uh, the latest proposal from the Premier League that games maybe will continue at a pace uh, behind closed doors. Love to hear uh, the thoughts of our panel on that, and of course. The rest of the programme we're going to dedicate to memories of, uh, of Manchester City, just not just at the Etihad, but at uh, Main Road. I go back a long way, and I know some of my guests go way away back too, but perhaps not as far as me. Let me introduce you to them. Uh, first of all, we've got Roger Reed, we've got Sarah Messenger, and we've got uh, Ian Lee, all City nuts uh, like myself. A very warm welcome to each and every one of you. And I'm going to go, uh, ladies, first, and, and Sarah, first of all. This idea, I think from the Premier League, that um, we should see out the season by playing playing games behind closed doors in a sort of World Cup-like tournament with the players all in, uh, their, in, in a couple of stadiums, one in London, it's suggested, maybe one in the Midlands, notably not one in the north of England, all staying there for however long it takes to play a game, every three or four days or whatever, um, uh, and with their officials and, and, and of course, uh, the referees and the linesmen as well. What are your thoughts about that, Sarah?
3: Um, Well, like you, John, I think it's ridiculous. In fact, there's almost a bigger point to me, which is I think it's embarrassing how much social media traffic there's been about various permutations on how we might finish the league. And, uh, you know, look, if City hadn't won the league for 30 years and we were about to win it, I'd be devastated if this had happened and meant that we didn't win the trophy. So actually, I've got... Some sympathy with the reasonable Liverpool fans, there are one or two of them who must be it must be it must be gutted at what 's happening. But the idea that finishing the season is so important that we concoct all sorts of bizarre ways to make it happen taking no account not only of the pressure that the general public are under i mean people are not only dying but obviously dealing with the 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 health issues of all of this but also dealing with the financial pressures that they're under um and i don't buy this idea that football played behind closed doors just to finish the season or give everybody a great big boost so I, i you know i think you've alluded to some of the practicalities which seem bizarre to me um I personally think that as things stand at the moment, they should just announce that the season's voided and put all the attention on to get being ready to start next season oh, subject to how things are going.
2: Oh, dear. Well, I disagree with you there on that bit. I want, I want the season played out. But I think this current suggestion, I don't, I'll come to Roger next, but Roger, I think this current suggestion is not only flawed. I think it's downright dangerous. You know, you're having what you know, we don't know what the situation is going to be in a couple of months. It may be a lot better, but if it isn't a lot better, how on earth do you justify putting all these people together in, in, in situations like that, given the strictures that are placed on the, on the public at the moment? I
4: agree with you totally, John. I think we, we, we tend to forget that people 's health is, is much more important than anything else and i 've said that throughout my life to, to with people that i 've worked with. Your health is more important than anything you know your wages, your salaries your, your, uh, your dining habits are all important, but your health is more important and what 's important in this issue is to remember what people's motivation is and i think what's coming coming across to me as a as a football supporter is that the premier league's motivation seems to be uh slightly out of balance and out of kilter because the motivation is all about the money and keeping you know sky and bt sport uh, happy with what's going on um, whereas people's health is obviously much 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 more important than that i think what we should be doing is keeping the situation under review and if it runs later than we think it, it it is doing you know it goes into june july then okay we look at what the options are at that point in time but in the meantime premier league please please can we have some something that shows a little bit of concern about people's health. We're fighting a war here against an unknown virus that we're finding very difficult to deal with. That is much more important than football right now. Couldn't agree more. Ian, your view. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I just think it's the cheap option for, for the Premier League, to be honest with you. Um, if, if you look at everything below the National League, they, they were quite quickly to say, right, we'll null we'll and void the league and we'll start again because there's not much money down there. But when it comes to the Premier League and, and uh, the, the media, it's a case of big money's involved. So it's, for me, it's the cheap option and it's not the right option. Um, and uh, I, I just think it's, I'm like with everybody else, I just think it's ludicrous. I think it's a farce.
2: I, I also think, by the way, that it's not just the football authorities that have to rethink, think very hard about this. Television has to think very hard about it. You know, we're in unique, terribly worrying circumstances. And, you know, money is not all. Everyone's having to make financial sacrifices. And that may well have to include uh, BT. Uh, and and sky as well you know tough bananas i'm sorry it's a, it's a, that's the reality of the world we're living uh, do you want to come back on it sarah
3: well i think just to say that um the 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 tv companies i, I agree have got to take a hit everybody else is taking a hit i don't see why uh, they shouldn't take a hit. But also, just to go back to the point about football being scrapped at lower league level, As a, a, I coach a women's team and we've had notification from the FA that the league is, um, is being scrapped and we're top of the league that we play in. So, you know, you can imagine we're all gutted. But if it's, if it's OK to avoid it for all the teams below a certain level then why are we not voiding it for the top other than the reason Ian just gave, which is it's all about money. And I think for anything to be all about money at the moment in a sport as rich as football at the top echelons, it is completely wrong and sends the wrong message to society.
2: Yeah, well, I don't think you even think your league should be, should be uh, null and void and frozen either. But let, let's move on. We're going to talk about memories of Manchester today. I'll kick it off by talking about mine. And it, basically, what I'm, what I'm looking for is your first memories of, of the place. I go back a very long way, as those of you who've ever seen me on telly uh, might know, because uh, I'm in the, the old Farts Brigade, uh, basically. But my first game, believe it or not, was in 1952 when my dad took me along to City to watch uh, Blackpool with a, a young man called, well, he wasn't that young at the time, Stanley Matthews playing, that was my big treat. A dull game, ended in a nil-nil draw. I've still got, I've still, well, I haven't still got the programme. My son found the programme for me, one of those places you get. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's, a, it's basically a piece of, well, four pieces of paper stuck together with drawing pins almost. Bert, <laughs> Bert Troutman in goal, Roy Paul uh, in midfield, of course. Johnny Williamson at centre-forward. Don Revy playing, Ivor Broad is playing, and Roy Clark on the left wing um, i went along there as i say a kid of six years old my grandfather had, had seen City at Hyde Road before they even went to Main Road. He was there for the very first game they ever played in, in 1923, and so it was inevitable that I'd be dragged along there too. Quite a long journey from where we lived, up in Saddleworth, 15 miles away, but it was at least two buses, and I can't remember if it was a tram or, or a trolley bus that took us from Piccadilly Gardens to, to, to Main Road, but one or the other. And it was a long journey and a, a, a long haul back, but never forget it, uh, nil-nil, even though it was a, a nil-nil draw. And of course, I've, I've been going to Main Road, and, and subsequently the Etihad ever since. What about what about you, Ian? Do you remember your first trip there? Do you, do you know something, John? I can. I really, <laughs> I really can. not <laughs> <laughs> and
1: mine's a lot sooner than yours. Having said that, I do remember one of one of my favourite games was a League Cup semi-final at uh, Main Road uh, against Middlesbrough. When we beat we we lost it to Ayrton Park, and then we we beat them four nil at um, at Main Road. And I walked home, and I lived in North Manchester at that time in Rochdale. So it was a long, long way home in the wet.
2: That's that's uh, my bestest memory, to be honest with you. All right, about. Sarah, if not first game, if you can't remember your first game, I don't know whether you can, your memories of Main Road generally, Sarah?
3: Um, well, interestingly, I couldn't remember my first game, um, but then I the joys of modern technology, I, what I can remember is the first season that I went, which was the 72 season, and uh, I had a season ticket with my dad. This is all, you know, my dad's the person who got me into City, and the first home game of that season was against Everton, and we lost 1-0, so I should have realised then the 30 years of misery I was in for. Um, but uh, actually, it's 40, isn't it? Um, so um, I uh, that, that probably was my first game, a home defeat. Um, quick summary of memories. I remember the excitement of seeing the pitch for the first time as a child, which I know is a common experience for kids, but I remember that. Um, I also remember that at the time, Main Road had... Uh, about 73 urinals for the men and one crappy old toilet for the women. Uh, and there, there was never a massive queue because not that many women went to the game in those days. There were some. But I remember, th- you know, the, when you look at modern stadia and you think about what we put up with in the 70s. Um, and the other thing is was, was that we used to sit in the Platte Lane stand. And I remember bottles flying over my head as a kid. <laughs> And uh, some choice language as well. So, th- those kind of typical memories of the 70s definitely stuck with me as a, as a kid.
2: Yeah. I, I remember my dad, and my mother would have had a heart attack if she knew what was happening. My dad, just occasionally, sitting me on the tunnel wall, there was a sort of tunnel people could walk through to get to their seats, and not seats, where, or stand, in fact. And my dad occasionally used to sit me on the tunnel wall so I'd get a better view on the drop. Uh, down one side was about 12-15 <laughs> feet onto, onto solid concrete. You know, I don't know what he was thinking about actually, but anyway, I came to no harm. And of course, the other thing, you, you know, one has to bear in mind about about the grounds in those days, apart from the condition of the pitch, which was atrocious on some occasions. There was a time when City had 84,000 people in that stadium. I think they were playing Stoke, I can't remember, maybe back in the 1930s. 84,000 people in that stadium. I mean, it's just unimaginable in, 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 in this day and age. Roger, your memories of Main Road and maybe even your first game if you can recall that far back.
4: Yeah, thanks John. Yeah, I mean great memories from you about uh, Stanley Matthews and the Blackpool game in the 50s. I'd have loved to have been there but my first game was actually against Swansea Town as they were called in November 1963 on a very sunny day at Main Road when my dad took me to the scoreboard end and it's a good job it wasn't raining because it, it would have got drenched obviously on the old scoreboard and there was no cover there at all but in future years we went to the plat lane end which uh, we used to sit on the benches just behind the goal there and uh, they're, they're very happy memories of walking up the, the tunnel in the corner and uh, talking of memories of the ground john you'll remember they used to have these big entrance um Uh, halls almost in each corner of the ground Yes, Uh, and in the plat lane corner of course it was covered so what would actually happen it was like walking down a dark tunnel and you'd come to the end of the tunnel and suddenly see the light and see the green of the grass and the blue of the sky so it was I always remember that walk uh, in particular you know coming coming out at the end of the tunnel Um, The thing that changed Main Road, of course, was when they built the the new North Stand in 71, 72, whenever it was, um, because they they eliminated two of the corner exit routes or entrance uh, routes. And uh, it just changed the ground forever, uh, unfortunately. I think it lost a bit of the atmosphere, as you said, when they used to hold 60,000 games regularly in the 50s and 60s. And um, Main Road was really a sight to behold in in those happy days.
2: Now let's move on to favourite matches at at Main Road before we get to the Etihad. I mean, my... Sort of golden, because I, I, I moved. I left. I should explain. I left the north when I was twenty-one years old. So I came to work in Fleet Street in London, and then, and then in television. So my visits to Main Road after uh, the late sixties were, were obviously sparse because a, I was working down here. B, I couldn't afford it anyway uh, to go to go back week in week out. But my, my the Halcyon period for me was obviously the Joe Mercer, uh, Malcolm Allison period, and I, I caught a snatch of that while I while I was still in in the north of England. Um, uh, I, I saw some wonderful games. I remember marvelling at you know the skills of, of Buzzer Bee, Mike Summerbee, Franny, and Colin Bell, and, and the, you know the ever gracious uh, Neil Young, not to mention uh, many others as well. So I, I was lucky to be born into that. I was sort of my late teens, early twenties when all, when all that was happening. No particular match stands out, but I just remember feeling very, very. Very privileged that I, I was witnessing this wonderful brand of football after a period in which Manchester City had been through a, a, you know a dark time. I, I think we, the, the worst day was a, you know and in, in, down in the second division the, the, against Swindon and they had a crowd of eight thousand there. And the things with Joe particularly. Uh, I was very fond of. I got to know for reasons I'll explain later. Uh, and his and his and his wife. Uh, but you know Joe turned that club around. And you, you matches for you lot. Let's let's start with Ian. Favorite match or era, whatever you. Whatever oh right! I, 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 I'll
1: tell you what, John. Roger will know this. It will be the 23rd of September. Uh, Manchester City versus Manchester United, and uh, I w- was at the game with Roger's father. And Michael Knighton was the, uh, the oh. owner of Man United there. Yeah. And his father went up to him and gave him some right stick <laughs> before, <laughs> before the game. And then, as, as you know, the, the result was 5-1. And it was just a great, great day. And it just happened to be my birthday as well. So great day all round.
2: Right. Sarah?
3: That, well, that was a that was an obvious one to pick and a, a very important one for our psyche, I think. But the, the one the memory I have is I can't remember the date, but I I think it was 1977, and we beat Liverpool three one, um, when Liverpool were a, a a good team, although we had a decent team in the sort of mid seventies. So I, I, I just have a memory of that being a really good win and and being really happy going home to, after after that one.
2: I was I was refreshing my memory about that period. I talked about the Joe Joe Mercer Malcolm Allison uh, period be, uh, because uh, at an early stage in my in my television career, I was a re- my first job in television. In fact, was as a researcher on This Is Your Life with Eamon Andrews in those days, and um, I persuaded them to do Joe Mercer's life just for me and my dad, basically, never mind the viewers. And uh, it, it was a great joy and, and, and great fun, and, he, and I was just delighted to find out what a nice, lovely family. Uh, Joe's Joe's family were. I'm I'm forgetting the point I was going to make now. But anyway, it was it was a gold, golden golden era, and uh, I was very very proud to, to witness it. You know, in many ways, similar to what we've had in the last few years. I mean, you can argue about the quality of football being better, different, or wh- whatever you may choose, but it was a breath of fresh air for City fans, was it not?
4: It was indeed, John. It's Roger here. Yeah, just just to mention that. I think that there's a lot of similarities with the Pep Guardiola years, with the Joe Mercer years, you know, because the brand of football that City played was so sensational. It was a pleasure to watch it. And some of my memories of, of best games at Main Road were like the ballet on ice against yeah. 68 when I think people started realizing that City were serious title contenders that season. You know, some of the European nights, I was there for the first ever European game against Fenerbahce, and then the last game against Borussia Mönchengladbach mm-hmm. in, uh, in 79. Um, but the other nights against clubs like Atletico Bilbao, Académica de Quimbra, and the, my favourite one against Schalke, the European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final, second leg, when we were 1-0 down and beat them 5-1 to, to go through to the final just fantastic memories of great great games at uh, at Main Road I know what
2: I was trying to remember from the Allison uh, Mercer era. It was, of course, the last game of the season at Newcastle where, where we won, won, won the first division title, 4-3. 20,000 City fans. I looked it up before I, I came on air. 20,000 City fans went to Newcastle. Fantastic game. And, of course, the great joy was we beat United to the title because United lost at home that day to Sunderland, uh, which was the best, best news ever. And, and, of course, very similar to what happened many, many years later in 2011. And interestingly... I think I'm right in saying, and the BBC will condemn me if I'm not, I think I'm right in saying that uh, on that day when we won the championship, 4-3 in a cracking game at uh, Newcastle, sadly I wasn't there. It wasn't, Match of the day cameras weren't there either. They were, typically they were at Old Trafford.
4: Uh, well remembered,
2: John. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that, aren't I? You are, Good yeah, one. unbelievable.
3: Uh, uh, that's another. That's another memory, isn't it? Though we're looking to see if the BBC cameras were there when you got yeah. to the ground and <laughs> coming out to editions of the Pink, and you know, all, all of these things just bring back happy memories of, of time spent there. The other thing I think we should say about city is that, uh, from my very dim and distant memory, there was always there was always. I never felt like there was an edge at Main Road. I mean, I've, I know I referred to bottles being lobbed earlier, and I'm hoping it wasn't you, Roger, since you were sitting in the Platt Lane end. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it never felt like a really edgy ground in the way I think some others did. You know, and we have things like the inflatable bananas and all that sort of stuff, which uh, I think just, just marked us out as a slightly different club and a slightly different kind of fan.
2: Which we've been ever since. I'm going to take a short break there. When we come back, we're going to be talking uh, further about our memories of City. And I thought in, in particular, we'll kick that discussion off with our memories of, of players, our, our favourite players over the years, both at Main Road and at the Heady So don't go away. Join us in a couple of ticks. Welcome back to the Man City Show. We're talking, uh, in the absence of uh, any proper soccer to watch, uh, as it were, we're talking about our memories of Man City, both at uh, Main Road and at the Etihad. We've talked about the ground, our first visit there, etc., etc. I thought in this uh, section we'd kick off, at least, by talking about some of our favourite players. When I was a kid, uh, back in... The 1950s, 1960s. I don't quite know why, but my favourite player was Dave Ewing. Wonderful old centre half We played in that middle line with Roy Paul, Ken Barnes at the right half, Roy Paul at the left half. Uh, tough, uncompromising player. We bought from a team called, I'll never forget this, Lancarty Juniors. Wherever <laughs> Lancarty is in Scotland, I have no idea. But that's where we got Dave from. Um, and the, he was a stalwart at Manchester City, uh, a, a great player. And of course, many people remember in the 56 cup final when Bert Troutman broke his neck. It was Dave, more than perhaps anybody else who covered for him and booted the ball out of the stadium as as best he could every time uh, he he got the opportunity. It was Dave who helped him off at at the end of the game too. It was Dave Ewing and Johnny Hart who missed those cup finals because if I remember rightly, Johnny Hart broke his leg in a game at Huddersfield and missed both the first 55 cup final against Newcastle, which we lost of course, and indeed the second cup final against Birmingham although he may not have been in the team by then I can't remember exactly but he was a for some reason or other I I can't remember he was one of my favorite players too and of course went on to manage the club uh, very briefly and his son Paul Hart became a a, a manager too yeah so that they were my early favorites I'd like to talk to to you now Sarah your your favorite players over the year either from main road days or from the head and and if so why are they so
3: well, I'll focus on Main Road only because we've had lots of discussions about kind of the current crop of great players that we've got. And I think I've said many times how much I love David Silva and, of course, Kevin De Bruyne and Aguero and so on. But if I go back to being a kid at Main Road, the players that I remember really loving, I'm going to pick two of them. One was, um, one was Peter Barnes. Yeah. Uh, and the other was Dave Watson. I don't know why I particularly like to centre off, but I was something about Dave Watson that I always thought was quite classy and he didn't invoke fear in me. So um, uh, those are probably two. I mean, there are, there are loads. I, was a bit, I did see a little bit of Colin Bell and I know what an amazing player he was. But I, I, I think I, that was sort of when I was very young. So I, I'm going to go for those two.
1: Ian Lee? Oh, right. Uh, it, it, like Sarah, it's, it's a difficult one because we've had so many. But I think what Man City did very well, especially in the in the 60s and 70s, was we always had very good centre-halves. And I always liked George Heslop, and we always had a good number six or number four in Mike Doyle and Alan Oakes. I thought Alan Oaks was very, very uh, underrated. I thought he just had the
4: brain of the team, to be honest with you. Roger. Well, a quick funny story about Dave Ewing, who I had the great pleasure of working alongside when I worked at Main Road in the 70s and 80s. Uh, my dad always used to say that there was an expression about Dave, which was pull up at Dave's, because in those days, maybe the ball might go past him or the player might go past him, but never both of them at the same time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but my, uh, my big heroes were, uh, well, I'll tell you them in order. Dave Wagstaff was my first ever hero in the early 60s. Yeah. Then Johnny Crossan. And then, uh, of course, the triumvirate of Summerby, Bell and Lee became my heroes. In fact, many uh, of our older listeners may remember the 1971 3-3 draw against Manchester United when City's scorers were actually Lee, Bell and Summerby. An absolutely fantastic game that you can still get on YouTube. Just tremendous to watch. Totally agree with you about about those
2: three and indeed that that, that entire team, the team that that, that ballet on ice. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, or someone mentioned earlier, fantastic players, and great skills, and, and 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 of course, in many cases, still around the club and still doing a good job there. Uh, more recently, I, I, again, because I, I was refreshing my memory, uh, which is very difficult these days. I Have to work hard at it. Uh, I was refreshing my memory about City and I'm thinking about the Joe Royal era when you know, don't forget, you know, well, how can we forget? We were in. In, in tier three as it were, play, losing at home to, away to york City twelfth was it 13th in 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 what I call tier three i mean dark days Joe revived the team for us got us back out of that league got us out of the second division back in back into the into the premiership and he, we had a, around that time some class players around then or just after and two in particular stick out with me Ali Bernabia, remember him uh, and Al Burkovich. now Ali Bernabia I thought was just a class act, he really was and I remember um, his, his first game, I, I think we played Birmingham City and he, I think it was Keegan who got him in I think and Keegan had signed him up on the, on the Friday and he, he went back to Paris on Friday night came across to the airport, Manchester airport on the Saturday morning and I'd flown up on That I think he arrived at the airport after me and he ke- and came on and played an absolute blinder and Trevor Francis who was managing Birmingham City said he, you know, he, beat, he beat Birmingham City all on his own brilliant player and Berkovich again a class act Joe, 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 Joe Royal said of Berkovich that he could start an argument in an empty room but he was so he was a pain in the backside to, apparently to work with. But he was a great player. Anyone remember them with such fondness as me? Uh, let's go to let's go to Sarah. Uh,
3: yes, I think you summed them both up well. And I guess if we're going to mention players from around that era of, the, of that kind of ilk, we'd have to mention King Cladsey as well, wouldn't we? And his amazing yeah. goal against Southampton. Um, so he was he was a special player. It'd be interesting to see what players like that would do in the team we've currently got, isn't it?
4: It would. Roger? Yeah, I think that Arby and Berkovic would, would be players that Pep Guardiola would, uh, would love to have available nowadays, wouldn't he? You know, they were, they were both fantastic midfield players who created things completely comfortable on the ball. Even when people were closing them down, they, you know, the sort of player that Pep Guardiola can uh, identify with and relate to. So, yeah, happy times. And uh, I can remember one particular game when Bernabia played. I think we went to Hillsborough and played Sheffield Wednesday and absolutely murdered them 6-2 at Hillsborough, which was certainly not something that City fans were betting on on the day. But it was just a terrific all-round performance. I remember that very well. Ian? I think I think the two that stood out for me in that era was Kevin Horlock who
1: seemed to uh produce all the plays in the team and um the other, the other one for me is of course Paul Dickov you you've got to remember the legend goal of course but he was such a little feisty player up front that you
2: know City could do with that right now to be honest with you Uh, Joe Royal, again, quoting Joe, became a bit of a Palomar at one stage. uh, Talking about Paul Dickoff, he said he would chase waste paper uh, and he would would (laughs) run after (laughs) after anything at all. Uh, Let's just move to, (laughs) excuse me, let's just move to um, best favourite matches. Now, obviously, there's one game in particular, and that's, you know, 2011, 3-2 against QPR. I'll count that as a given. But apart from that, favourite matches, Sarah? Oh, what, a, a at either the Etihad or... Either, either. I'll, I'll kick you off. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I make, not, let's not make favourite matches. Let's most important matches. And for me, the most important match is something you've just alluded to there. It was a game against Gillingham, you know, that didn't dip into playoff. Because, all right, QPR when we won the league, fantastic, you know, first trophy after 30 years, all that stuff. But But for that game against Gillingham, but for the extra time, the performance of Dickoff in particular, Nicky Weaver et al, City could have become Leeds United. City were in dire financial straits. Uh, there were, there were, you know, had we lost that game, God knows what would have happened. I think that was a, a pivotal turning point in the club's history. And we've got to thank that team for that. I went to a reunion dinner uh, with them a few years ago. Great fun it was, too. And we owe those guys a, a lot. So, uh, most important match. Let's go to Roger. In your, own, your, your personal opinion.
4: Well, I agree with you, John, and many people may not know, but I know there were discussions about City potentially moving from Main Road and going to the the new stadium, what is now the Etihad Stadium. If City had lost that game against Gillingham, there is even a possibility that the move to the new stadium may not have come off. So I agree with you. The most important game has to be that game against Gillingham. Funnily enough, I was actually watching that game with Ian, who, who's obviously on the podcast tonight. And at 2-0 down, I remember nudging Ian and saying, should we go? And he said, come on, no, and hang on in there. You know? And then Kevin Horlock got the con- what we thought was a consolation goal. And then Paul Dickov got us back into it. It was incredible. By that time, most of the City fans, I think had actually turned away and were leaving the ground.
2: Well, I was with my dear old dad, you know, True Blue, and late into his 70s, I was a bit worried, worried about him going up a lot of steps to our seats because, I, I, you know, he was, his, his heart was not terrific at the time. And when we went into extra time, I had real concern for him. It was so exciting. But thankfully, he survived that at least. Ian, your, your <laughs> most important game for you? Well, I think it's going to be a full house here. It has to be the Chillingham
1: game, and and as Roger said, he he was nudging me one side two 0 down, and on the other side of me had the Chillingham directors punching me, saying, you know, you're going down, you're not going up. And uh, I had blue arms on both on both sides, to be honest with you. But uh, luckily, the the result uh, turned in our favour, so uh, we, I got my own back.
2: I think as far as favourite games go, and I'll just uh, we're getting towards the end now. But (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) As far as favourite games go, I have to say that one of my favourites was with our son Nick, who is also a true blue, although he's never lived in Manchester in his life. But he's he's almost more obsessive than me. Uh, I went went to Old Trafford when we won six one. I I have to say, I know they were down to ten men. Johnny Evans had been sent off, but (coughs) but even so. Beating Stratford United 6 1 on their own midden was for me something else. And I remember turning to my son Nick and saying, Savour this moment, Nick, because you'll probably never see the likes of this again. <laughs> and, and literally, we did. And of course, that coined the the old phrase, It could have been 10. I think Tommy Doherty said it on the local radio, but it could have been 10. <laughs> I and mean, It could have been 10. It was unbelievable. A great game. And, and I, I thought we were lucky to get away with our, our, our lives. I thought the United fans would go ballistic, but I think most half of them had left anyway by the end of the game. Uh, other memories of, like that from anybody, uh, Sarah?
3: Well, I think, I mean, you know, it's hard to top that. those three that have been mentioned. The the, the win against QPR, the Gillingham game and, and the 6-1 at the uh, at the Swamp. But. Um, I just I, I want to throw one more into the mix as important, and that's winning the FA Cup semi final against United um, in 2011. 12, 11, 11, 2011. Um, you know, just because I think that was the moment for a lot of City fans, we may not have realised it at the time, that we actually thought our lives might be about to become different. Because I'd lived for 30 odd years with just at moments when I thought City couldn't let me down again. They did. Um, And so I actually, and and because we had money behind us and we had a sense of a decent manager and a decent team. For me, that was quite a turning point that maybe things were going to be different. And they were.
2: Absolutely.
1: Ian? Ian? I think for me it was the FA Cup final against Stoke, the first one. Uh, I think that was uh, the, the the pinnacle point for the for the new era, where we you know every season we must win a trophy. Um, Yaya yeah, yeah, scored a great goal early on, and, I, and it just for me that just turned Man City into uh, into a world class team. Then I never looked back. To be honest with you, um, other than that, my other favourite game was the ten one of uh, against Huddersfield Town.
2: Okay. <laughs> poor, poor old Huddersfield poor old Huddersfield. I, had a soft spot for Huddersfield I used to go there when I was a kid with my mates because we lived halfway there of course in Sadler I used to go to Huddersfield when I wasn't watching City well just a final word about, about our favourite personalities obviously Joe Mercer Joe Royal amongst my favourites because I got to know them and uh, uh, I got I'm very fond of both of them. but also uh, dear, old, dear old Bernard Bernard Holford no longer with us uh, Mr. Manchester City a great loss uh, to the club and, and a fantastic servant. Uh, anybody else? Favourite people, favourite personalities? Uh, Sarah?
3: Yeah, well, the one I am going to mention is Big Helen because I remember her as a kid uh, ringing the bell outside the Manchester Royal or Manchester, yeah, and and uh, sitting at the opposite end of the ground to me. So she would have been in the North Stand, I think, um, <laughs> right behind the goal. Um and so she was you know she was a personality of the day so i, I that's who i would pick i think
4: Roger well, I, I'm with you. My my old boss when I worked at City was Bernard Holford. He was absolutely terrific as club secretary. I think unfairly over the years, I think he's, he's had a bit of stick from City fans, but he absolutely loved and adored Manchester City and he did absolute miracle, miracle, perform miracles for City. In the early 80s, when City was struggling financially, I think it was Bernard that kept the club afloat. I really do. I think there's that much credit is due at his door and he was such an inspiration for me in my My career as well. Other people that I can mention very quickly. Stan Gibson, of course, the legend uh, of Stan. Stan was a fantastic fella to work alongside. I loved every minute of the conversations I had with Stan when I worked at Main Road. Roy and Kath Clark, who ran the social club for many, many years and, and helped us with the junior blues rallies that we ran in the 70s. People like I've mentioned, Dave Ewing and Ken Barnes, you know, behind the scenes. Tony Book and Glimpardo were fantastic to work with. There's so many personalities that I could name that, uh, you know, they were just wonderful, wonderful people. And I think, I think there's something to be said about having a city personality. They're basically nice people. I think it was Steve Fleet used to say it's very important to be nice, but it's, it's sorry, it's very, it's nice to be important, but it's much more important to be nice. And I think that's the sort of personality that. City people have got over the years. I can't think of a better note to end it on. Uh, thank you all very much indeed, Roger Reed, uh,
2: Sarah, a- Andy, and Lee. Thank you all very much indeed for your contribution. Uh, that was uh, the Man City show, and thanks very much indeed to you all of you uh, uh, at home for listening. Uh, join us again uh, next time. Thank you.
3: This
1: is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit PlaybackMedia.co.uk.